0: Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the IOIT Podcast. My name is Sriram, and as always, I'm joined by Jim Brent and Edward Gordon. Hi, guys. Hey, how you doing, Sriram? How you doing, Jim? Hey, everyone. How's it going? Good. Are Cause... you guys getting this, uh, snow and ice that uh, is covering, I guess, 75% of the country?
1: Yeah. I, you know, I'm i here in, in Tennessee, and we uh, we always expect to get ice when we're told to get snow, but we've been lucky. Nothing like Texas, you know, or, um, or Mississippi or Alabama, um, even in Louisiana, they've had lots of icing and, you know, when you expect to have warm weather relatively often and not drop down into freezing temperatures, it's, it's very interesting, you know, and, and it just, right. None of the infrastructure is designed for it. So my, uh, my, my, my thoughts go out to everybody that's, that's been dealing with that in in Texas and, um all over the country really that's had a very cold very cold weather.
2: Surprisingly in Vermont we have not had any of the precipitation yet I believe it's coming soon.
0: I mean so one of the one of the issues that's happening um, because of these wintry weather is that the power grids are failing um, because more people, or plugging in their electric heaters and drawing more current, and I don't know if uh, people realize this, but like the electric grid is designed such that um, every watt of current or power that's generated gets used up, and you know it's like there is no storage in the system. As demand rises, the supply rises. You know that's where you get the peak current and everything, and um, you know when the supply is not able to keep up with the demand the power grid starts going down and you start getting these uh, blackouts
1: yeah and i think it's yeah i've I've heard that uh texas runs on its own separate um, power grid so it's unfortunately at the disadvantage that it's not able to pull power from another state when they aren't able to fully supply and they have to try to supplement it so that's been uh, you know real problem like you said they do the the power grid of the US, at least, does just-in-time delivery, right? The moment you need it, it's basically just been generated. I mean, probably seconds, seconds beforehand, maybe. Um, I don't know the specific amount of time, but it's it's very, very fast. So, you know, I, I think that, that sort of shows the necessity for storage options, better storage, right, so that if you can't keep up with demand, then you can flip a different switch and release sort of um, extra or be able to do that surge, right, to be able to deliver the surge.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, which ties into, I guess, today's podcast. Uh, I, I you know, Magically, I don't know how that always happens, where we just like the intro that we're talking about always ties into the topic of that week. <laughs> and uh, today's episode, I guess we're going to be talking about batteries. Is that right, Jim? Yeah, we'll be talking about
2: batteries today and specifically lithium ion batteries, because that's right now what is used most as a rechargeable energy storage device is a lithium ion battery and that's all a battery is, is a energy storage device. Um, lithium ion specifically is chemical storage.
1: And one thing that I always think is interesting or that I like to think about is that it's one big interest is portable, right? A lot of things that we do we want them to be portable so that they're not tied down so they can move from place to place, right? It used to be that you have a, a bag phone or a car phone that had to plug into the car so that you could get power. Um, and then when you were able to have a cordless cell a cordless phone in the house, but you always had to plug it back in. Now we, since we have these batteries, we can have this portable energy to go anywhere. So right. A car doesn't have to just be at the same spot. It can charge it and you have an onboard energy source. Your smartwatch, right, has a, a little battery into it so that you don't have to worry about charging it all the time and you can be away from um, that energy being generated.
0: Yeah, I guess it's like, you know, it used to be you know, before uh, consumer electronics really, like, became ubiquitous. You had double A's and triple A's and coin cell batteries. Um, but once you started having, like, laptops and smartphones and smartwatches, like you were saying, Edward, um, the need for a rechargeable Batteries um, really became uh, this focus. And uh, li- like Jim was saying, lithium-ion is the technology that is um, at the forefront right now, um, not just for those those small grade devices but also for um, your electric cars. So what is a lithium-ion battery?
2: So lithium-ion battery uh, has a negative um, which is either end of the battery within the middle It has an electrolyte. Um, Usually the positive electrode is typically a metal oxide and the negative electrode of the lithium ion cell is made of carbon, usually graphite, um, at least in abundance at the moment. And the electrolyte is lithium salt, usually in an organic solvent, because you can't use water because lithium reacts with water and creates hydrogen gas, which is very flammable. (laughs) So that's essentially the basic construction of a lithium ion battery right now. Um, we'll get into a little bit later about the different types and different technologies moving forward. Um, but what's really interesting and different than um, older versions of a chemical battery is that all lithium ion batteries that are consumer grade have a protection circuit on top. So usually if you see you know, what is essentially a AA battery, but it's a lithium ion, the top cap will actually have a very, very, very small circuit board that, again, is encased in the whole thing. So you won't, as a user, even realize it's there. But that actually controls the battery so that you don't don't draw too much power from it, which can cause uh, the battery to fail. Or you don't charge it too fast so that, again, the battery, you can cause damage and cause the battery to fail. You know, going back a little bit, lithium ion batteries... You know, were first proposed in the 70s, actually by a British chemist that was working at Exxon at the time. And he actually had started with titanium sulfide and lithium metal as the electrodes. But the problem was is that titanium disulfide was a very poor choice because it was over $1,000 per kilogram in the 70s. And it had to be created in completely sealed addition, sealed conditions because once it was exposed to air, it would react very quickly, causing hydrogen sulfide compounds, um, which has an unpleasant odor, but has a more serious side effect of death in most animals. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it did was okay, but again, it was very not not safe. So Exxon quickly moved away from that actually, which was interesting. And then in 1985, the very first lithium batteries we know today was created by uh, someone from Japan. And it's actually where, you know, the lithium on one side and the lithium cobalt oxide on the other. And they were able to get an electric current through that. And then moving on down the list, uh, Sony was the very first company to commercialize a lithium ion battery in 1991. And nowadays, you know, you hear a lot about lithium batteries and the different technologies that manufacturers are trying to do in order to get that lithium battery to last longer and to be able to recharge more and more times. Because as time goes on, we all know that, you know, your phone will stop holding a charge as long and your phone will stop, you know, it'll take longer to charge. And that's partially because the degradation of the lithium ion battery.
0: So does the... Like the capacity of the battery just come from like having more of those components or is there more to it than just that? Yeah. So
1: there's a, a variety of aspects, but from the, the chemical perspective, it's all about the energy that can be held inside of the reaction between the lithium ion and whatever you're reacting to. Um, and how much you can release during that or how much you have to put back in to break that reaction will all be able to determine how much specific energy. Now, lithium itself has a specific nominal voltage. Um, that's the amount of energy that each individual unit carries. Right? And voltage, so voltage is the, the energetic potential of it. Um, And that is an an inherent one. So for anyone who maybe used alkaline batteries, they have a 1.5 volt potential. Um, And so that's just an inherent property of that chemical reaction. So depending upon, with lithium, that one's generally at 3.6, 3.7 volts, um, depending upon the different chemistries that's used. But then how much you can pack in and how efficiently you can make it all stack together helps you figure out what your potential energy density is so how much can be packed into that one um, one container and over time they figured out different ways to package it right so we have these button cells for anyone who's uh changed uh maybe like a like a little a little light and they're like little discs right those are the button cells they kind of look like a button Um, you can have the cylindrical cells that look like a big cylinder um, a prismatic cell um, that you could pop out of the back of a cell phone. Back back in the day when you opened it up and they were they like they were sort of their own little module and you could put it in. Uh, that would typically be a prismatic cell. And then more recently they've made it in pouch cells. So they literally are everything of a battery stuck between two pieces of foil and sealed together. And depending upon how much energy density you can make and how much usage a device will have. And if you want the consumer to be able to change it out, that kind of comes down into those design aspects, right? So for a flashlight, you design it for cylinders so you can put them in, right? And then you can screw it together. Um, For phones, a lot of our phones, you can't open up to get out the, the the pouch cells that are inside of it. So, because you're not supposed to be able to open it up, but that's also one of the benefits, right? Of it being rechargeable is that you don't have to. So I I guess to your, to your question, there's a lot of different things that can go into how much energy you can get, but on the very basic aspects, it's how many lithium ions can you stack in for a lithium ion cell that you can push into, um, a lot of times, the lithium ions get stored inside of the carbon um, during during storage, right? And so then they do what's called intercalation, where they kind of wiggle in between these these layers of carbon and then just sit there waiting to be released.
2: Mm-hmm. So, what causes the release?
1: Um, the the completion of a circuit, right? So when you flip when you flip a a flashlight on, I guess I think of of, of flashlights right now because. We had to go through our house and look to make sure we had them, just in case we lost power. And when you push that that um, that switch up, that little button up, then you close the circuit. So it allows the energy to flow. The energy always wants to try to get down to its lowest state, right? And so when a circuit is connected, now just natural physics is that that energy wants to release and get down to its lowest state that it can um for
2: so i have you know on least like you said earlier that the lithium is stored in between the carbon atoms or carbon layers um so what cause like what happens when i complete that circuit with the lithium does the lithium shoot through my circuit
1: oh no no so lithium's too big um it's, it's the uh, the electrons, right? So electricity is the flow of electrons. And when you close that circuit, then the electrons that are inside of the lithium um, that are being held with the lithium want to get away so that the lithium can go down in energy level. Um, and when those electrons release, then since carbon has a conductive um, aspect to it, it will conduct into what usually is then a maybe even a more conductive layer of like a copper and will then go through that electron will then go through and go to the other end well now that free electron with its negative charge wants something positive and so lithium will have a positive charge so it'll float out because now it has nothing to hold it into its position inside of the, the carbon um, layers and so then it'll go through what's usually an, an ion separator Right. Um, inside of that. And so that's why we say it's a, a lithium ion is it's actually the movement of lithium ion inside of that liquid. Electrolyte. It's inside of that electrolyte. Exactly. So that it can flow to the other side and re um, uh, re meet up with the electron before then you start charging it and you pump in energy to, again, separate it, give that electron more energy and then come back
0: together with the with your lithium. Hmm, interesting. Wait, could you explain that again? Like, so you have, like I'm genuinely interested in this. Part. So you have the lithium packed into the carbon, and yeah. you have the electrolyte.
2: Yeah. yeah.
0: So think like, and then what's on the other side? Yeah. The metal oxide. Yes. Metal oxide. Okay. Yeah. And then and so, when you complete the circuit, the electrons go the long way around, right? Yes. Yeah. Because that's how they do it. And yeah. release some energy along the way.
2: Yeah. It release into whatever load you're using, whether that be an LED, a screen, uh, you know, a processor, processing power for your phone. It can be the load. It's, it, it, you know, it's called the load. So whatever that energy is being used to power. Mm-hmm. So that electron, again, millions and millions and millions and millions of electrons, but we're just referring to it as one because we're trying to make it easy to understand.
1: Mm-hmm. And... For like the flashlight example, I really like it because the light that you see is part of that energy. It's a little little bit of energy that's released as a photon because of the chemical property of, the, um, of that little electronic piece. Mm-hmm. So when that drops down, it releases its energy out as light so that we can see. Now there's other, you know, and, and that's just one example of what one electronic piece does.
0: And then the electron then like comes back to the metal side after it does whatever it's doing. And then what's happening to the lithium now? The lithium ion? So the lithium lithium is? Is,
2: so now you have on the the cathode side, you actually have uh, because that electron's now sitting there, you the lithium now wants to go and meet back up with it. So now mm-hmm. you that's that's how you have the movement of lithium ions through the electrolyte over to your cathode. So now you have mm-hmm. all these lithium ions on the cathode side. And what happens is, is then your battery, as you know, the more and more lithium moves over and over and over to your cathode side, um, the there's not as many electrons on the anode side of the negative side. So what happens then is now you, you don't have any electrons to give to your circuit, therefore your battery dies. So now what happens hmm. is you need to charge it again. So what you're doing now is you're taking the, you know, from your wall outlet you're taking and you're putting electrons on the negative side and you're pulling all that lithium back to connect to those, those electrons again. Huh. <laughs> and then, you know, then you go through that cycle. And so a full cycle that we talk about is, uh, you know, you're discharging your battery and then you're, you're re-energizing oh, yeah. it again. Yeah. And so yeah. some of the things you might see that batteries are described as is their charge rate which can be you know 0.5C, 1C, 2C. I think 2C is usually the safest right now. And Edward, what does that mean?
1: Yeah, so 2C relates directly to um, current. So what's the, the max current output? Well, so, so when you look at, at something and, and you have a certain energy density, um, you can think of that many currents or amps being applied over a certain period of time. Um, because tech, I guess technically amps is the delivery of electrons per second. Hmm. Um, so it's technically when you're charging, you're saying how many are you going to be pushing back the opposite way, right? So how quickly you can do that, you that's what we get into those aspects where you have a supercharger. Now you can be able to move really fast and not break things. Um,
2: and that's a big point: is not breaking things because, like I said, most lithium batteries have that protection circuit in them, and that only allows them to be charged at you know 0.5C, 1C, 2C, and that is because you do not want to you don't want to damage your lithium ion battery. Yeah,
1: and it's to make an analogy, it's sort of like machines um, or, or people in some ways that there's there's sort of that that limit where you can efficiently do something and not really make mistakes. And then when you start pushing past that, you just naturally will start to make mistakes, you know, not necessarily your, your fault. It's just what happens. And when you do that with lithium ion or with, with a lot of batteries, you get what are called um, dendritic formations, which are basically like little outstretched sort of fingers growing from, um, from, from the sides that if they touch, um, in the, at, at any point, then you get a short circuit, right? So electricity always wants to go through the lowest resistance. And if it can go just from one side to the other, then you'll never have to worry about you know, going through your circuit. So then it's, it's dead.
2: Right. And so what that is, you're actually causing, those dendrites are made from um, impurities in the carbon, you know, on the anode side, and the metal oxide on the cathode side is, that as you charge too fast, you'll actually create fragments, and they'll break, and then reform. And that's how you get those fingers that go out, and eventually, you know, if they do touch it, like Edward said, it cut creates a short circuit. You know, what's really interesting is that's actually a pretty big problem in space, because uh, you have these high-energy electrons that are just out in space, usually from either the Sun or a different star that can hit m- different types of metal and cause these uh, dendrites. Yeah. And a big problem is one of the reasons is a lot of the um, commercial grade stuff, they're actually moving away from leaded solder because it's you know dangerous. But in space, you actually want lead solder because what they've replaced lead with here for commercial is tin. And tin actually gets hit by electron and creates really big ones. And so they actually moved, they kept using lead in space because of that. And actually, um, you know, that's what would happen with your Xbox 360, for those of us that remember those, and you get your red ring of death usually because they used tin solder with not enough lead in it because you need some, and it actually caused cracking in the, the solder joints, and that's what caused some of the problems with the Xbox.
1: But now yeah. most solder is, is lead-free for consumer products, right?
2: Yes, that's correct. Yeah.
1: yeah. So you as— You to be
0: Rojas compliant, right? Yes.
2: Yeah yeah just a little tidbit
1: (laughs) but you know the fortunate aspect of the the development um or the advancement of of manufacturing technology and and other technology be able to to answer you know a big problem where all of our xboxes were dying and we weren't happy so
2: yeah so some of the things that you were saying edward were that they're thinking about different chemistries and different things like that um, why are they looking into this if we have lithium ion that works so well?
1: Um, no, that's actually, that's a, that's a really great question. Um, because what is good enough, right? In, in a in a sense, if you listen to what people talk about for the, for cars, you know, why can't we have fully electric cars? Well, um, there was always the number thrown around of $100 per kilowatt hour. Um, so why do we need to look into these different chemistries? Well, there's fundamental limits of how much energy each one can store because of that, that chemistry aspect. So, um, for anyone that's maybe heard about future developments in batteries and we can touch on it more is lithium sulfur. It's sulfur as a compound is able to, or as a, as a element is able to make six different connections. So it can make, um, six, uh, chemical bonds. And if one of those is to maybe another sulfur and the other one is to the, um, uh, the metal backing right now, it has four spots that are available for lithium. And if you have another one, you might, a different chemistry might only have one binding spot for lithium. Um, so those are some of the, the issues um, of, of what might be better. And, and if you can think about it, and you say, okay, now in what was a spot for one atom, granted atoms are different in sizes, but now if I can stick four in a spot where I can stick one, now I can be have four times as much energy versus the other chemistry where I can only have one, mm-hmm. right? Um, because you're looking at the movement of lithium ions. Mm-hmm. So, it's, it's really important, especially as we want to make cars that can go a thousand miles, 2000 miles. You know, I think right now, a lot of the commercial electric vehicles are in the 400, maybe 450 mile range. Um, and if you can automatically jump that to, um, to four, then right now, now you're looking at something to be in the 1600 miles to, Um, 1800 mile range but with that you do have some challenges right so every every aspect has a different or every product has a different use case and so you want to design it differently where we have something going into space maybe then you want it to be light and have a bunch of energy so you want to be able to to not use as much fuel to get out into into space or with a car, you still want it to be light, and you want it to be able to um, to go wherever. But you also kind of want to consider you don't want it to be so big, right? I mean, if it if it takes up two lanes worth of space to be able to have it, but it's super light, maybe that's not the best choice because our roads aren't designed for it. Um, but if we're talking about the energy grid that we're ta- that, that we were saying, right? that maybe you want to use as little space as possible and you don't really care about the weight because it's just going to be sitting in one spot. You just want to take up as as little square footage. So it's the importance of having different chemistries because that's one of the aspects of it is that they all will have different um, specific energies and, and densities, so what, how much energy they store depending upon their weight or their volume.
2: So it really depends on the applications to what you want to use.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Um and you know, that's also one of the reasons that they came up with like we had said before, the cylinders versus the, the pouches versus the prismatic. Um and along with that you also have an aspects of life cycle. So I think all of us know that eventually you will charge your phone and that by the end of the day it's dead. And you think, What happens? Um, well both your your phone might become less efficient just trying to get more power out and more processing. But you also have the aspect that you, since you have some small amount, nothing in, in uh, nothing in the world or in the universe is perfectly efficient, right? Everything has small amounts of mistake to them. And if you're 99% right every single time, then you go from 99%, you go from 100 right to 99, and then you get 99% of 99, and and so you can see that eventually you start getting smaller and smaller and smaller until you just can't function anymore. That's one of the the aspects where you have that lifespan. So like we're talking about different chemistries, a lithium cobalt oxide, which is called LCO or lithium cobalt, um, where cobalt oxide is the the cathode material. Um, it has a life cycle between 500 and 1,000, um, whereas if you have one that is the uh, lithium manganese oxide, that one has 300 to 700, right? And so depending upon what you need, depending on voltage or life cycle or weight, it all depends upon the application. So that's why we have to keep researching different things is so that we can have something that matches our needs in all different places.
0: Nice. And interestingly, you know, with uh, the electric vehicles getting a lot of like um, press lately, you know, with Tesla and other companies, um, everyone is planning on going full electric by a certain year. And what this means is that all of these car companies and all of these cars are going to need more and more batteries. And so, you know, right now, um, right now, you know, by 20, in 2020, there were about 2.5 million electric vehicles were sold, and that's expected to rise to about 11 million in four years by 2025, and to over 31 million in 2030. And that means that like all these cars, like 30 million cars in 10 years, so all these cars are going to need batteries, and so the lithium demand has to keep up. Uh, so the lithium supply has to keep up with this demand, and uh, a quick way of like thinking about how much how many batteries a typical car electric car require is that um, each electric car requires about ten thousand times what a, an iPhone uh, has in battery capacity. So now, think like just multiply that. that. That's how much lithium you need, and. Um, it, this is like this is reminding me of like my uh, chemical engineering classes from undergrad, where you had the guano wars back in the uh, late 19th century, uh, because you know global food production was taking off, and you didn't have any fertilizers, and the only way you could get fertilizers was through guano, uh, back poop, <laughs> and uh, you know wars were being fought over these islands that had guano, and uh, it's it's interesting that like now now um, you're having this rush for finding new lithium sources.
1: And I mean, yeah, it's it's really understandable, right? And a lot of times where I think there was just this recent announcement that Ford by 2030 is planning to be all electric in Europe, so mm-hmm. only selling electric vehicles. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's especially interesting because countries have started to put sort of their national identity or be able to focus on that mining because there's such a huge market for it. Um, and the ability to mine enough um, of the lithium or, or other uh, metals is is desirable because it looks like that's going to be the, the future for a lot of needs as we try to make things more portable and, and usable.
0: Yeah, there was uh, an article recently, I think it was in Bloomberg, they were talking about uh, a new gold rush in California. Um, you have the the Salton Sea in California, and people think that the brine there contains about 600,000 tons of lithium, or or they could extract up to 600,000 tons of lithium a year, which would be about eight times what they uh, produced in you know 2019. So that's a lot of money just sitting there, and um, you you already have. Uh, companies that are trying to build essentially desalination plants in the Salton Sea to try to get, um, to try to mine lithium. Yeah. And there's some, uh, um,
1: just in, in agreement with you in talking about the price that if you look at the price of of like an ounce of silver versus the price of an ounce of, of lithium, lithium right now at least is is more expensive than silver. And a lot of people would think of silver as right that really precious, expensive metal.
0: Yeah. That's that's a very good point.
2: I mean what are the gigawatt factory or the giga factories? Are those lithium?
0: Yeah. You already have like things like that, the Giga Factory, which is I guess like one of the largest manufacturing facilities in the world, all dedicated to producing batteries for one company, one ev company for Tesla. And so you know with Ford and GM and um, everyone else also making bigger push into EVs, it'll be interesting to see where this thing goes, not even in the future like now. Yeah, yeah. this is really
1: one of those ex- you know, examples of where the future is now, right? what
0: mm-hmm.
1: what we might be looking at down the line it's, it's really just every day changing..
2: Mm-hmm. So Edward, the last question I have for you is: You want to open a lithium battery factory with me?
1: Absolutely. <laughs> Pretty sure I can I can
0: uh, roll up some cylinders.
2: Sure, you're welcome too. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'll, I'll bring the the certified lithium fire extinguishers. Love it. But yeah. for all of our viewers, if you want to
1: join in with us, you can send us your questions that we can address on. The podcast, and you can reach us at ioitpodcast
0: at gmail Yeah. Well, with that, thank you everyone for listening. For ioit, my name is Siro. I'm Jim. And I'm Edward. See ya. See you all
2: next week. Bye. Try again. See ya.